you guys are in for one of those treats today because I'm so tired because I was up way past my bedtime. Like I turned into a pumpkin long about 8.30 and I was out until 10.30 and then I didn't go to sleep until midnight. So um, my filter is thin today. So who knows what will happen? Just, uh, just hang on for the ride. Last night was so great. That's what it says in my notes here. Back alley story hour, so great. Like that's just, I want to talk about that for a minute, just how fantastic it was. I have been looking forward to this with everything in me, like a giddy kid on their way to Disneyland for summer vacation or something for, for months, a couple of months now. And uh, it's because I'm just so convinced that we, we talk about loving our city, we talk about reaching the world, we talk about meeting the needs of our community, and, and like I've said before as we've been talking about this, we do some of that in very practical ways downstairs. Um, but there's all kinds of people in our city that they're not, they're not starving, they're not homeless, they don't need, you know, food baskets. Those things, those services, those things that we do for service, they're, they're wonderful, but one thing that every single human being needs and many of us are starving for is connection. Just to be seen. That is something that, that happens um, downstairs as well. It's not just food. It's not just laundry. It's not just showers. But watching the transformation in a person, when you sit down across the table from them, look them in the eyes and just listen to their story. Some people have not been asked who they are for years because of whatever impairments that they have or whatever, you know, brokenness is in their life. Everyone that they've known has shut them out and no one notices them. No one listens to them. No one sees them or touches them or asks them how their day is. And so the transformation that comes over a person when we are willing to do those things and whether or not you are economically challenged or you are just not, whether you're affluent, whether you're a down and outer or an up and outer, you can still be in that same situation where no one notices you, no one sees you, no one wants to listen. And when we offer that to the people around us, it is transformational. And just so we're clear that I'm not saying that's the only part of the equation, some of what we're going to talk about today is how you and I in this room, we need to do that. We need to listen. We need to learn. We're not some, you know, great savior with everything all together. You know, Jesus is the savior, not us. We don't come and say, oh, I will... I will listen to you, and so I feel really good about myself, and look at what a good Christian I am because I'm listening. No, we need to learn. We are in need of the people around us, whether they're people in this room, whether they're people that we know, or they are strangers. We are in need of opening ourselves up. It was just, I have so much, so many thoughts about why this is important for us to do. And have just, I've just been praying for this for so many years, that this church would be a place where anyone could come and know that they are valuable. And you might think it's silly that something like happened last night would, would meet that need, but it did. It was beautiful. It was amazing. It was amazing. 
it was, it was so fun to get ready for this. Um, I just got more and more excited because I felt like I could see that other people were getting excited about it too, not just people in the church, but people outside the church, which again, not to be a broken record, but was the point. Um, one of the fun things that I got to do, um, Bonnie did like all the hard work, and I just got to do some of the fun things. One of the fun things I got to do was uh, last Thursday, I got to be on the radio on K-Kid and did a little, you know, tiny, short little interview uh, with Steve Wheeler, who came, the radio guy came to Back Alley Story Hour, by the way, so he believed me when I said it was going to be a party, and he was there. Um, but one of the things he wanted to talk about was like, why? Why would a church do something like this? It just seems so odd. I mean, it makes sense that you'd have open mic night at like a local bar or something, but why would a church do such a thing? And one of the things that I told him is the church, and you know, I use that capital C, like not just, I'm not picking on you guys. I'm saying like church in America. We're so used to talking at people, like right now, I'm doing it right now. I'm talking at you. This is not a conversation. I mean, sometimes there's some participation, but generally speaking, I would prefer not to be heckled. So um, <laughs> I'm talking at you. We talk at people in the church, and we're so used to that posture. Like we have to learn how to listen, to listen. I'm really, really passionate about this. The idea of communicating to people that they are seen and they are heard and that who they are really matters to us. It's, it's really, it's so striking to me. It has been for some time so striking to me, the disconnect that we in the church seem to have. And again, church capital C, not picking on you guys in particular, but like the disconnect that we have when it comes to people who are unchurched, whether that's someone who's never experienced church or someone who was in church and isn't now for whatever reason, but people that generally don't choose to go to church versus people that do, there's a disconnect there. And at times in my life, I have been right there in that spot where my circle of people that I spent time with was really small very homogenous, people that look like me, think like me, believe like me, vote like me, those kind of things, especially in the beginning of my faith journey, because in the beginning, I was taught that that was the right way to do it. Like, you're only supposed to spend time around Christian people, and not just Christian people, but a particular flavor of Christian people, because we're kind of suspicious of, you know, the others, right? But even after I realized that there was some dissonance. I mean, we say like, oh, your job is to go out into the world and introduce people to Jesus, but maybe don't talk to them. Even after I realized that that, that, that was a little foolish, I still struggled, I, and I, it still can be a struggle today to have meaningful friendships with people who are outside of the church, people that I don't see every Sunday, people that I don't go to small group with, because it's just, it's a matter of, of time, sometimes. It's easy, it's easy, it's convenient to see you guys every week. You're here, you come here, we all come here together, and it's just easy. One of the periods of time in which that really, really uh, grew for me, changed for me, was when I started to work with the mission. 
So even before it was the mission, even like back in the day when it had the uh, super creative name of the laundry area, (laughs) this space that's underneath my feet has always attracted a diverse crowd. And I don't, I don't use that word sarcastically at all, diverse crowd, because everybody has this like, idea, this stereotype of what a person who comes to the mission looks like, and that stereotype is wrong. There's, there's no one situation, no one pattern. I mean, it's all different kinds of people. Every situation is unique. But when, when I started to get to know people, and when I heard their stories, I heard what was happening in their life, what happened to me was I started to learn. I began to learn. And one of the ways that that happened was, was Facebook. Okay? Facebook can be a super maddening exercise sometimes. But it can also be a wonderful window into the worlds of people that are different than us. It's, it's a balance, how I tailor my, my newsfeed. But in the beginning, when I first started to work with the mission, in the name of good boundaries, I did not connect with people on social media. I thought that's the sensible and wise thing to do. But God convicted me of that pretty quickly into my time there. Because how many of you know this is true? There's often just a really subtle difference between a boundary and a wall. And while boundaries are necessary in relationships of all kinds, boundaries, every relationship needs boundaries, but walls um, don't make very good friends. So I realized that it was an arrogant posture that I had, that I would assume that people would give me access to their lives while I was not allowing them access to mine. So when I stopped drawing that particular line and I began connecting with people on social media, it was eye-opening. Just seeing what people were going through, the things that they thought about, the things that they were concerned about, the things that they chose to share with the rest of the world. Once I opened myself up, what I started to see was where my assumptions about people were flawed. Where my bias was blinding me. And where my knowledge was incomplete. There's a lot of discussion in, in, in the world today in, in about what, what happens in, in our lives. We, um, people that study culture, they, they talk about how we live in these kind of insulated bubbles where everything around us just confirms what we already believe is true about the world, just perpetuates whatever our particular perspective is, our interpretation of the world. We, we develop these insulated bubbles around ourselves. 
And it's just our nature to do that. It's our nature to surround ourselves with similarity. Birds of a feather flock together and all that kind of stuff. It's just, I think maybe there was at some point some evolutionary benefit to that. You know, you need to recognize who's safe and who's not and the people that are like you, you know, you know what to expect. I mean, I don't know where that comes from. It's, you know, on its own, it's a neutral thing. But it's our nature to surround ourselves with similarity. And most people never even notice that, much less question it. Our bubble of like-minded friends, shared interests, shared activities, similar goals in life, similar values. And if you'll allow me for just a moment to really step on your toes, just really quickly here, we rarely evaluate the intake of information that we allow in our life. It's very likely that you have a favorite source of news. It's also very likely that you do not often seek out alternate perspectives, different sources. It's likely that my implied suggestion that that would be a good thing to do is irritating you right now. Because whatever side of the spectrum you're on, you have decided that's where people should be because that's what makes sense. My perspective is correct, and so this is the information that supports that. You, you are smart people. You have made decisions about where you land on, on a variety of current events and, and issues. You're likely convinced that there is little value in looking elsewhere for information. And, and to be clear, it's equally likely that you would feel that way no matter where you get your news from, no matter what side of the spectrum you land on or if you're in the middle. Doesn't, doesn't matter. It's not the point of, of what it is. The point is that no matter where we get our information, we think that's the right information. Psychologists call this confirmation bias. Have you heard this term? Confirmation bias. This is a thing. It is a well-documented thing. As human beings, we notice information that confirms that what we believe is true, and we dismiss information that challenges us. It's just, it's just kind of an inherent thing, confirmation bias. We give more weight to the information that agrees with what we already believe, and we dismiss the information that does not fit into our bubble. The cure for confirmation bias is to intentionally seek out new information, new experiences, new people, and their perspectives. To stop stop and see, to choose to listen and engage. Because we, as followers of Jesus, are called to live in the world in a different way. 
the expectation is that we would challenge what comes naturally to us and we would lean into the values of God and the heart of our Father. We're called to imitate and emulate Jesus, the posture that he had toward those around him. We are supposed to have that posture toward those around us, regardless of similarities or differences. For the last couple of weeks, I've known that uh, as we're wrapping up our hospitality series, I've known that I wanted to finish with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is a story that most of us are probably familiar with. But we're going to read it together before we go too much farther. It's in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus did as Jesus often would do, and he answered a question with a question. He said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? What do you think it says? So the the lawyer answered Jesus in verse 27, said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer... He wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So Jesus told this story. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite. A Levite was was a worker in the temple, different duties than a priest had, but also a a Jewish religious office, a Levite. When he came to the place, he saw him. He passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus asked, 
Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. I can remember hearing this passage when I was a super zealous teenage Christian, like not too long after I really, 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 really decided I really was going to follow Jesus. It was an on-again, off-again thing for a while in the beginning, but once I really got my head on straight and I was, I was all in, I'd hear this passage and I would think to myself, like, I cannot imagine not stopping I cannot imagine that. I cannot put myself in that place where I would see someone lying bloody on the side of the road and just pass by. I can't imagine not stopping. I would stop. Of course I would stop. And as an adult, I find that for the most part, I have lived up to my innocent expectation for myself. Early in our marriage, Uh, My husband had to pressure me into an agreement that I would not pick up hitchhikers when I was traveling alone. It's a deal we have. I'm a little frustrated by it, but I I respect his concern for me. You guys, have you ever seen those TV shows where they... They stage this, this distressing event, like they'll have people that are actors, like maybe it's some little old lady in a wheelchair and there's this big bulky guy with her and he's like knocking her around and being rough and stuff, but like they're both actors and there's hidden cameras somewhere. You guys seen those shows? Like I am so confident that if someone did that in Rala, I would pass the test. Like I just run towards stuff like that all the time. If something's really going down, I just get all up in the middle of it because I won't have it. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm, I'm all up in the middle of it. You probably would too. You would too. I know you guys. You're good people. You would stop. So what do we do with this story? Should we pat ourselves on the back and we should go home now? It's a little early, but like, check, we are good Let's go. But what does this have to do with what I was talking about earlier? And what do we do with this story? Listen, you and I both know it's going to be a rare occurrence. It's, it's not outside the realm of possibility, but it's going to be a rare occurrence that you are going to be walking down the street in Rolla, Missouri and find a bloody robbery victim on the side of the road. But all around us, everywhere we go, there are people who are broken and beat up and battered and wounded by the things that they are experiencing in this life. And most of the time, you can't even see it because it's on the inside, it's not obvious on the inside and the inside wounds are the ones that we have to earn the right to see we earn that right with our willingness to stop and and to see to learn about who people are and what their experiences have been this is a brilliant passage 
I hope we will not let our familiarity get in the way here. You have this super religious guy, really churchy guy. He's there every time the doors are open. He does all the things. He checks all the boxes. He's, he's, he's this brilliant, pious, holy person, pillar of the church. And he's basically asking for a loophole in this love your neighbor situation. Well, yeah, but maybe not everybody, right? That doesn't make any sense. And we, we, so we judge that guy, don't we? We're judging him right now. We judge that guy because we have not stopped to contemplate all the ways that we do the same thing. We do the same thing. I don't know what your social kryptonite is. I don't know what it is for you. But I guarantee that everybody in this room struggles with something struggles with some stereotype or a bias against a particular kind of people. It's different for all of us. But we would like nothing more than like this lawyer to find a way for Jesus to comfort us in our hatred. And he will not. He will not even if we think we have a really good reason. It's the thing we miss in the story. The priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, they all had really good reasons why they should have left that guy to die in the ditch. But only one of them chose to set aside his own comfort, to step out of that bubble, do something contrary to the norm, to the expectation, because it was the right thing to do. And Jesus says, that's the guy to be like. That's who we imitate. The priest and the Levite, you understand, they were bound by the Jewish law that forbid them from touching blood and bodily fluids and especially dead things. And the nakedness was a whole other thing that was, you know, very, very big deal in the Jewish culture for a you know, grown man to see another grown man naked. Like, it would have been a huge hassle for these guys if they had to complete all of the rituals that were necessary to, to cleanse themselves from dealing with this unclean thing. We judge those guys. We judge those guys because we fail to stop and think about the ways that we do the same thing. The ways in which we isolate ourselves as people of faith. The lines that we draw between us and other people. The times that we look the other way because we are worried about being inconvenienced. And is that person really worth all the trouble? The Samaritan had just as good of a reason to keep on keeping on. The Jews despised the Samaritan people and vice versa. 
There's a whole history there that we don't have time to go into this morning, but you can study it, and trust me, it was bad. Bad stuff. They were hated. Samaritans were hated. They were viewed with suspicion. One article that I read this week mentioned the fact that on this particular road, the Samaritans were frequently the perpetrators of the robberies. What The irony of this story, there's so much there. Jesus was so smart. But what must it, been, what must it have been like for that Samaritan businessman traveling through Israel, through this hostile territory where, where he would have been um, met with suspicion, for sure, at the very least, just treated with suspicion and sort of shunned in, in, in public. He was probably harassed. He would have done well to just keep his head down and stay in his own lane. My friend Lou pastors the Presbyterian church here in town, and a few months ago she preached on this passage, and I happened to hear her sermon, and I wanted to give her credit, but I loved the contrast that she drew out of this passage. And she said it's really, it's about the questions that we ask ourselves in the moment. The priest and the Levite and, and in the parable and the expert in the law that was talking to Jesus in the first place they all asked the question, what about me? What about me? What can I get away with in this situation? What will the cost for me be if I get involved? And in contrast, the Samaritan, who could have easily and understandably taken that same posture, he asked a different question. He asked, what about him? What about him? What about this man lying beaten and bloody at my feet? What will happen to him if I don't get involved? So the Samaritan got involved. And just the, the tenderness that we read in this passage. Verse 33 when the Samaritan saw the man, he, he took pity on him. He had an emotional response to the suffering of another human being, even though that human being was completely other. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. This is, this is an intimate encounter that he is having. He went to him. He was near to him. He touched him. Oil and wine is the equivalent of a tube of neosporin and, and just like rubbing that on his fingers and, and putting that balm all over those wounds. There's a, there's a nearness and an intimacy in this encounter. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He made himself uncomfortable so that this person could be served. And he brought him to the inn and he took care of him. The Samaritan made sure that the man was stable. He stayed with him and nursed him, nurtured him through the worst part, and then he made arrangements for the keeper of the inn to assist with the recovery. He made provision for, for the long-term aspect of the healing as well. That might be another message another day. 
So but this is an, a bit of an important aside here in this, in this particular topic, because if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know we talked about boundaries, and you know we talked about how those are important in community, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to pull back on that. The Samaritan continued on his business trip the next day. Like, he had stuff to do, and he was interruptible. He, he took a pause but it didn't completely derail his entire life. He still, he still went about his business the next day. I think this is, for me, this is a place where I get tripped up. And so it, it could be possible that it, it happens to some of you as well. But you can be open to the people around you, to the lives of the people around you, whether they're friends or they're strangers. You can be open to people who have hard complicated situations in their life. People that need more than you can provide in one sitting. You can be open to them because you don't have to do everything to do something. You don't have to do everything to do something. We make it an all or nothing proposition. And that's not necessary. But we can't do nothing. We can't. Not if we want to follow Jesus. Not if we want to be faithful to his expectation that we love our neighbors as ourselves. And we can't stick our fingers in our ears when we hear the answer to the question, when Jesus answers the question, who is my neighbor? Who can I, who can I leave out? No. Jesus' answer is every single human being who crosses your path is your neighbor. The people you hate are your neighbor. The people you fear are your neighbor. The people you judge are your neighbor. They are all precious to God. Every single one and all of them are worthy of having their wounds tended to and their needs met. You and I have to be willing to do the work. The work of fighting that tendency that we have to stay in our comfortable, familiar little bubbles. We have to be brave and we have to be curious if we want to learn about our neighbors who are different than us. And when we learn, then maybe we can understand. And if we understand, it's only then that we can begin to see what is beneath the surface and we can know what a difference our love will make.
So my charge to you this morning is let's commit together. Let's together in this room as followers of Jesus, as people who have been well-loved by our God. Let's commit together to do the very best that we are able in opening our hearts to the people around us, practicing hospitality in all of our interactions. Because in doing so, we might just have a chance of giving the world a glimpse of the heart of our Heavenly Father, the real one, the true one, the the God that really is, who loves us all perfectly. We might just have a chance. Let me pray for us.